We turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, our uh, Old Testament lesson this morning. And I want to read the last verse of the chapter because that really summarizes the whole message given in this uh, great account of Elijah. 1 Kings 17, uh, verse 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you are a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us in that truth. Your word, O God, is everlasting truth. I pray that the words of my mouth... The meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We play basketball here on Tuesdays and Fridays at 6 o'clock. And some of you attend and some of you should be attending. But there is a man, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, who comes to town occasionally. And when he comes, he comes and plays basketball in the morning. I saw him the night before we were going to play and asked him if he would be at basketball in the morning. He said, there's an 86% chance I'll be there. I thought, how do you come up with a number 86%? And I thought, well, if the, if the weatherman says there's an 86% chance of rain, what are you thinking? It's going to rain, right? 86% chance wasn't enough. He wasn't there. And I kind of wonder if he would have said 100% chance I will be there. That probably wouldn't have been enough either. And I learned something about the word of man, the promises of man. Now, something could have happened that prevented him from coming when he really wanted to come. But you can't fully trust the word of man. But you can trust the word of God. Not 86% chance, but 100% chance God's word is truth. So God's promises are found in this chapter, and I would suggest there are three of them that we notice this morning. God's promise of his punishment can be trusted. Now you're thinking, no, that's not a very positive way to begin a sermon, right? God's promise of punishment. Usually when we think of the promises of God, we think of those precious, wonderful gospel promises, right? We can be sure that they are true. And yes, indeed, we can be sure of that. But there are promises in God's word. Would we say they don't bring us great comfort and joy? Because when we live in disobedience to God, When we fail to honor Him and put Him first in our life, there are consequences because the Bible says that we reap what we sow, don't we? And sometimes the consequences, the price we pay, can be quite high. If you look at the first verse of our text, you see Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, who is the king of Israel, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And we know from Scripture that was three and one half years. It's obvious that Elijah isn't calling for a drought on the land. 
uh, just for the fun of it. Uh, it was not a pleasant thing, and he found no pleasure in proclaiming that there would be three and a half years of no rain whatsoever on the land. Elijah is calling for this drought in fulfillment of God's promise. Listen to what God said in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. He says, Beware that your hearts are not deceived, and that you do not turn from away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain on the ground. And the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. So the withholding of this rain that Elijah speaks of in this passage is in fulfillment of God's promise that if you start serving other gods, this is what will happen. There will be no rain upon the land, no crops to grow for your idolatry, for your disobedience to the very first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, it's interesting, the people of Israel at this time were worshiping the false god of Baal. And what's interesting about it is that the people in that day believed that Baal was in control of, guess what, the weather. And God is saying, now, wait a minute. I am in control of the weather. One author says in announcing that there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, Elijah is throwing down the gauntlet, he says. To say it will not rain except that my word directly challenges the reality and power of Baal at the point of Baal's supposed strength. Then he refers to passages that, that go way back to that time. What people said about Baal, they described him as the great storm god, the rider on the clouds, the god who sends the rain. So is that interesting? What is, what is happening here? Not only are the people of Israel being disciplined, punished for their sin, he is showing them that this false god of Baal that they are worshiping now can do nothing for them. He might be the god of the storm, the god in the clouds, the one who brings rain. But God says, you will know that my word is true. You will know that I am the true God, and what I say, that indeed will take place. So besides being a punishment on Israel then, the drought was a judgment upon the false gods that they worshipped. And if they chose to follow this God of Baal, this false god, they would learn the hard way that you reap what you sow. When you disobey... There are consequences. Our children know that, don't they? When there's disobedience, there's consequences. I read about Bill Crowder, who is one of the writers in Our Daily Bread. He said, it seemed innocent enough at the time. I came home from my high school and told my mom I was going to go to my friend's house to play some football. And she insisted that I do my homework instead. But he said, I slipped out the back door and spent the next two hours making tackles and touchdowns in the backyard of a, my friend's house. But on the last play, he says, I was tackled into a swing set and knocked out my front tooth. That choice to disobey put me on a 10-year path 
of dental problems and pain that have continued to this day. He learned there are consequences when you disobey. We do reap what we sow. And that's why God lovingly warns us. And we see that in this passage. The promise of God's punishment can be trusted. So we need to be warned. We reap what we sow. And sometimes the result can be very, very painful. The second promise we notice here, God's promise of His provision can also be trusted. So if you're Elijah and you are prophesying there's going to be a famine and you're saying it's not going to rain until I say so, that puts you in a little bit of opposition with the king, doesn't it? Ahab. Remember Ahab? His wife was a lovely woman by the name of Jezebel. huh? So he was not happy, obviously. And so Elijah was put in a position where he had to trust God. And so God gave him some instructions how he was going to survive this. So look at verse 2. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherit with his east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook. Now, that probably sounds like a little bit of uh, strange instructions, right? I'm going to send you to the brook Cherith. And if you think the brook Cherith was like the land flowing with milk and honey, that it was exactly the opposite. Uh, Travelers have described this area as one of the wildest ravines of a wild region. So this was an unusual place. Why on earth would God send him there? I'm sure Elijah's thinking, okay, really? All right. And not just an unusual place, but providing for him in an unusual way. Now, I've never asked a raven, but I don't think ravens are known for sharing their food, are they? And yet, he says, God said, I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So in the morning, they fed him breakfast. In the evening, they fed him supper. Wow. What a provision of God. So why would he send him to a place like that? Well, our text tells us one thing. It was to hide. He was there to hide from Ahab's wrath during that time. So this was God's way of of protecting him. But I think another reason God sent Elijah to such a desolate place like this is that God has a way of preparing us for the future by sending us to places that might seem a little bit Desolate. Robert Weston says, By leading his servant away from the familiar mountains of Gilead and from the challenge of exercising a prophetic ministry in a hostile setting, God was offering Elijah not only an extended period of rest, but a precious opportunity to deepen his closeness. To God. 
What do you do out in the desert? You don't go to Walmart shopping, do you? I mean, what do you do out there? What an opportunity this was for Elijah to get alone with God. And that he did. And that's God's pattern. Moses, remember, sent out into the wilderness for how long? Forty years of the desert tending sheep. Probably a good way to prepare him for being a shepherd of the people of Israel. They were as disobedient as the, the sheep out in the wilderness, right? David, how many years did he take care of, of sheep before God placed him in that position of king? Paul, Saul of Tarsus, when he met Jesus, he spent, what, three years in the desert of Arabia? So God has a way of preparing us for what is to come, sometimes in places, sometimes in circumstances, sometimes in situations that we might not have chosen. But it's His preparation for what He wants us to do. And I would imagine there must have been times when Elijah said, I've I got to get out of here. I've got to get out of this place. I don't want to be here in this desolate area, this by the brook Cherith, all by myself. I want a bolt. I want to get out of here. But he waited. And there's a key, isn't it? Waiting upon God to say, okay, now's the time. But don't go until I lead you. And so God led him. And when he led him from the brook Cherith, he told him to go to Zarephath, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And this might not seem as strange as going to the wilderness, to the uh, river, to the Cherith, but to be sent to a widow... In a foreign country. I imagine if I was Elijah, I'd be thinking, oh, okay. You're sending me outside Israel. You're sending me to a foreign land. And if you look on your map, that was about 90 or 100 miles from where he was. Well, that would be a little bit of a trek, right? And besides, widows weren't necessarily known for having an abundance of things in those days, were they? And that was certainly true of this widow. Verse 12, when Elijah asked her for some bread, what did she say? As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. Only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. So here he's sent to this, this woman that has hardly anything. I'm going to provide for you there. I'm going to send you to Zarephath. There's a widow there. And she's thinking, I'm on my last. I'm just going to gather the few sticks I can and prepare a meal. And then my son and I are going to die. That's the one that God sent Elijah to. So things are pretty desperate for this woman. She figured there was not much hope. And yet Elijah comes in and he says, I'm a little hungry. You got something for me to eat? And I'm thinking, she's probably thinking, what in the world? Something to eat. Why would he ask her to feed him when it appeared as if she and her son were about to die? You know why? 
He asked her because he believed God's word was trustworthy. God had told him, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And if God says, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you, then Elijah says, I'm going to trust that what God says is true. If he sent me there, if he's commanding that this widow feed me, then I'm going to trust him. And when you trust him, you find encouragement in times of need, don't you? And when you trust him in times of need, you are also an encouragement to others. Notice how Elijah encouraged this widow who thought she was near the end. Verse 13, then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go do as you've said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself, for your son. Why? Verse 14, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Are you seeing something, a pattern here? How many times are you seeing the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord? And you can trust it. Elijah saw that, right? He went to that brook. The ravens fed him. He comes to Zarephath, a woman who has virtually nothing, feeds him. God is faithful to keep his word. God is faithful to provide for our needs. Not 86% of the time, 100% of the time. Isn't that good to know? You know, there are times in your life where you're going to probably face some of those circumstances where you're wondering, how is this going to work? How in the world are we going to get by? How am I going to make it through this? Or how will I make it through that? Well, when you have the promise of God's word, what more do we need, right? Can we not trust his word? Absolutely, we can trust his word. And that's what we learn so clearly in this in this passage, what did Jesus say? Matthew six thirty three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And what? All these things shall be added unto you. That sounds like a promise, isn't it? It is. Philippians 4.19 My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Does God have enough for you? Absolutely, he does. And if he supplies you according to his riches in glory, I don't need to worry. What did Jesus say? Look at the birds of the air. I was at David and Whitney's house yesterday in Brainerd and watching the birds coming, eating the seeds on their, they put on the, the, the deck railing. Bluebirds and chickadees and Chipmunks and squirrels, Dick and Esther's favorite squirrels, right, brother? God provides for them, too. 
And if he provides for them, what does Jesus say? Aren't you of more value than they are? So don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink. Seek first his kingdom and God will provide. I read a, a daily bread uh, story from a lady by the name of Sochiel Dixon. I had to look it up how to pronounce it. She says, I blinked back tears as I reviewed my medical bill. Considering my husband's severe cut in salary after a lengthy unemployment, even paying half of the balance would require years of small monthly payments. So she said, I prayed. I called the doctor's office. I said, could we set up a payment plan just a little bit a month? And then the nurse said, let me put you on hold. She comes back and says, the doctor has written it off. You don't owe, you don't owe a penny. She said, I sobbed, said, thank you. The generous gift overwhelmed me with gratitude, hanging up the phone. She said, I praise God. <laughs> I considered saving the bill, not as a reminder of what I used to owe, but as a reminder of what God had done. Right? So when God makes a promise to provide, can we stand on that promise? Yes, we can. Dr. Munseth used to say, God will supply all of our needs, not all of our greeds, but all of our needs, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So God's promise of his punishment, God's promise of his provision can be trusted. Thirdly, God's promise of his power, his power can be trusted. So the widow of Zarephath had seen one evidence of God's power in that Flour and oil that just, they kept taking out of it day after day. There was always something there. But then sickness came to her son, so severe that, that he died. And it's interesting to notice how she responded to this, verse 18. So she said to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. So she figured that God sent Elijah to punish her for her sin. But notice what he said, verse 19. He said to her, give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him to the upper room where he was lying or living and, and laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I'm staying, causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times. And he called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray you let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him and revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. See what she learned that day? She learned that the word of God is truth. She was a foreigner. She was from a different land. She did not know the true God. But when she met Elijah and she saw what God did, she learned that day that God's word can be trusted because his word is truth. 
Aren't you thankful that God's word is truth? It can be trusted. We can stand on those promises of God. It's true that we will reap what we sow. We can trust that, and that's a good warning to us. It is true when it says that God will provide for all of our needs, and that's an encouragement to us. And it's also true that God has the power to give life to the dead. The spiritually dead, as well as those who have died physically, their body being returned to the ground. On two occasions, Elijah raised a child from the dead. And in both cases, it's interesting how the scripture emphasizes that this resulted in a restoration of family ties. Verse 23, Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. Same thing is said in the other time that Elijah raised a child from the dead. He took the child and he gave that child to his mother. Well, that's a picture, isn't it, of what's going to happen when Jesus comes again? There's going to be a restoration of family ties. My parents died in 2000, eight weeks apart. And there's a separation. And when separation comes through death, that's, a, that's one of the most challenging things we experience in life. But we have the promise that there's going to be a reunion, right? Those who have gone to be with Jesus, one day I'm going to see my mom and dad again. I don't know if he'll be yodeling like he did when he left or not, but I'll, I'm going to see him one day. Not just an 86% chance, but a 100% chance because God's word is truth. Stand on that, brothers and sisters, today. Rejoice in that. Build your life on this solid foundation. The unchanging, inerrant truth of God's Word. And I'll tell you what, in a culture like we live in today, we need something solid to stand upon. And there it is. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and the Lord's Word from your mouth is truth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is truth. I pray, Lord, that you would use that word to encourage, to strengthen us today, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.